thank you for listening to this Exploring ASD podcast with the Northern Trust. I'm James Nelson. I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague, Catherine. Catherine, hi. Do you want to introduce yourself to those listening? Hi, James. Uh, yeah, my name is Catherine, and I am a senior ASD therapist within the Pediatric ASD Service. Um, professionally a social worker, um, however, at the minute employed as senior ASD therapist. Thank you. And and today we're, we're talking about sleep and our podcast is entitled Good Sleep and How to Get It. So uh, kicking off with that, Catherine, maybe if we just go go really to, to, to the basics of, about sleep. And I don't know if you have any opening comments about broadly, why do we need sleep? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's a good place to start, isn't it? Um, I think probably everybody's had a, a time in their life where they haven't had a good night's sleep and they can certainly feel the effects of that the next day. So I think the majority of people would understand that we need sleep at a very basic level to um, have energy, to feel rested, uh, to help with our function throughout the day. However, there's so many, so many more kind of important benefits of sleep. And first of all, being kind of about our memory function. So while we're sleeping, our short term memory is converting to long term memory. Um, and it's also given um, our brain the the kind of opportunity to to prune out some of that unimportant information that we're probably inundated with day to day, particularly our young people, they're hearing so much that maybe they don't need to retain. Um, so it helps to kind of clear some of that out. Um, it also helps us to conserve energy because obviously when we're sleeping, our bodies are are kind of functioning at a, a, a lower metabolism. And it helps us to restore ourselves. So again, while we're sleeping, um, our cells are able to repair and grow. So um, I'm thinking in terms of, of this podcast, we're, we're focusing on young people and, and how important that really is for them, um, for those cells to, to keep repairing and growing. And, and finally, I suppose what it does, it, it promotes a healthy immune system and sleep deprivation really can kind of inhibit um, the immune response and make the, the body more susceptible to germs. Um, so you, if, you, if you have had prolonged periods of time of lack of sleep you might find yourself picking up bugs or or viral kind of infections more readily because your immune system just isn't where it needs to be and to fight those off that's a helpful reminder Catherine that sleep is much broader than just getting rest from from the day and I suppose I'm also thinking that sleep can almost become a a family issue because there's uh, we're we're thinking here of, of, of parents who may be listening to this with a child who's on the autism spectrum and is having difficulty with sleep and and when a young person's not sleeping, it, it can knock the whole household off. I, I'm guessing you've seen that quite a bit with families coming through the Paediatric Autism Service and the Trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would have, I suppose we'd have that quite often. Um, a lots, of, lots of our young people struggle with sleep. And as you say, it's not it's not an isolated incident then for that young person. It becomes a whole family issue, uh, you know, particularly when you've got siblings maybe sharing bedrooms. Um if one child's not sleeping, it's unlikely that another is. And if you're not sleeping and your your mood's impacted by that, I suppose it makes the, your day more difficult to cope with. And uh, young people with ASD can require additional attention. And if you haven't the sleep and the energy to do that, that can that can certainly have a wider impact than just the sleep that we're going to talk about today. Mm. And, and thinking then about parents who are maybe tired, uh, worn out from a young person not sleeping well. And then as you say, They've got maybe some additional parenting challenges to deal with, so that's that that all, that all can add up to quite a, a challenge. Mm-hmm. In terms of specifics, Catherine, sometimes it can be helpful for people to think: How much sleep should my child be getting? Have you any guidance about that? Maybe some sort of numbers of hours of sleep, for example. 
Yeah, and I, I would agree. It's really helpful to know um, and realising as well as your child gets older that that's going to change and those expectations then as, as a parent can change. So uh, some rough numbers for you. Um, as I say, it does vary from person to person, age to age. But if we're thinking in terms of a toddler, so we'd be saying one to two years old, um, it would be 11 to 14 hours on average that they need to sleep. As we move up then to a preschool child, so three to five um, would be 10 to 13 hours sleep. Our school age children, kind of primary to just slightly post-primary, um, six to 13 years would be nine to 11 hours. And teenagers then 13 to 18 is between eight and 10 hours. Um, and then that only slightly comes down for 18 plus. So that's you kind of at your, your limit of, of the reduction in the hours that you need. So adults, you want to aim to be getting around that eight hours per night. So you can see it decreases over time, but then it, it kind of stabilizes out around 18 to what you can function on. I'm wondering then, Catherine, about where autism comes in here. How can autism impact on sleep? Well, I suppose for young people with autism, there there are other issues which are going to certainly impact on sleep. One of those being um, their difficulty reading social cues. So a young person with autism's ability to understand why they sleep, when to sleep, um, then they might not make the connection between the household getting ready to bed, ready for bed, and that's the reason that they're going to sleep. So for the young person, I suppose, in that case, it can be really helpful to to share with them and try to educate them about why why we sleep, why it's important to sleep. Um, there are some resources available out there for young people, which can be quite helpful. Um, and I think possibly we can link those to the podcast. Um, and one is the, the rabbit who wants to fall asleep. It's a nice story for young people to read. Um, and we can we can put that in. And the other one is Neon the Ninja. And it's an activity book um, for children who struggle with sleep and actually specifically nightmares. Um, so at that younger age, I think um, it can be really helpful uh, for them to kind of have an understanding of sleep because with their, their autism spectrum disorder, they might be missing some of those kind of social cues. Um, as we get up a bit older, um, certainly the content that you share with older teenagers um, to help them understand why we sleep um, is certainly out there on YouTube and things. Or alternatively, a teenager, I would see no reason why they couldn't listen to this podcast as well to get an idea of why we sleep. Um, the other things with ASD, I suppose, with that impact would be the sensory issues. And sensory issues with young people with ASD are so common. Um, and, and that can be across the whole, the whole all the areas of, of their sensory needs. So particularly kind of that increased sensitivity to light to sound or touch um, and that can certainly impact on their their ability to fall asleep and stay asleep and um, those sort of hypersensitivities that they may have other than that then I suppose we have anxiety which again is quite a common theme coming through um, our service um, of kind of heightened levels of anxiety for our young people with ASD which is kind of increasing those cortisol levels in their body which is their stress hormone um, so certainly that can be something that keeps them awake um, and we, we will look um, later at kind of how do we how do we kind of calm that that system before bed um, but at the minute I suppose we're thinking about what's contributing to that um, so at bedtime we have increased worries or that's the time lots of parents would tell us that's the time when the worries come out and um, that children want to talk about their worries um, and it certainly does interrupt their sleep. Uh, I know that we're going to have a further podcast which will look 
more deeply into emotional regulation in young people with ASD. Um, so certainly I would suggest if a young person, your young person is experiencing levels of anxiety, that you would give that one a listen as well to get some more tips about anxiety management. Um, and finally, I suppose what we have is with our young people with ASD is those kind of very rigid thought patterns or um, repetitive behaviours which can interrupt routines. So a parent's trying really hard to establish a routine um, that, that indicates it's time for bed and, and our young people can be quite restricted or quite rigid in their thoughts or behaviours and that can certainly impact their ability to engage in a, in a different routine. I'm thinking even of a, of a young person who's in the middle of doing something and their parent mm-hmm. says it's time to go to bed. Yeah. And probably in any household in the country that could become a bit of an arguing match. Mm-hmm. But I'm imagining for the young person who's on the autism spectrum, that sense of I really must finish this before Absolutely. I'm going to go to bed. Absolutely. Would be one one possible aspect. So I think you're helping us see, Catherine, that there are a whole variety of different ways that sleep can be uh, in some way a bit more challenging for a young person on the on the autism spectrum. I know we we tend to talk a lot in services like CAMS and autism service about routine and the importance of routine. I wonder if you want to say a wee bit more uh, detail about that. What what does a good bedtime routine look like? Yeah, certainly. Um, and it, I think it kind of can, goes on from what you're saying um, about a young person, maybe mum coming and saying it was time for bed and there being no preparation for that um, and a young person not understanding that it's bedtime uh, can certainly impact then on their feelings about that, increasing that kind of emotional dysregulation, uh, the feelings of unfairness that they haven't got to finish the thing that they started and maybe actually their inability to stop what they're doing because they have that need to finish. Um, So having a really good consistent bedtime routine is key to supporting a young person to engage in, in bedtime more easily. So some of our kind of tips around implementing a bedtime routine would absolutely be about the consistency in the routine so we really want to be encouraging parents to put in place a routine that happens that starts at the same time every evening lasts for the same length of time and includes the same activities in the same order so that all sounds like it's a lot to do um but I suppose once we start to put that in place, it becomes much easier because parents, it's predictable for parents, they're going to do the same thing every evening. But bedtime becomes so much more predictable for our young people. We would also recommend that a bedtime routine lasts no longer than an hour. So a lot of the time, whenever parents would be calling in um, to our service to talk about sleep or difficulties with sleep, I would be certainly having those conversations about what does the bedtime routine look like now? And that can sometimes highlight that actually it maybe doesn't look the same every evening. And that is nearly all of the time our starting point then of getting that bedtime routine really consistent, really the same. So as I say, we want we want it to just kind of start at the same time every evening and, and involve the same activities. We would also recommend that the bedtime routine would be supported visually at your young person's level so that could be at picture level or up to kind of line drawing or words um my colleague lois recently did a podcast in relation to visuals and the importance of those in supporting daily activities so definitely i would recommend giving that one a listen for more information about how to actually put in place the visuals it's kind of imperative for a young person with asd to have words backed up by visuals to support them to understand we want to be thinking in that bedtime routine about including activities which are relaxing for the young person. So we want us to really avoid those kind of stimulating activities in that kind of hour before bed and certainly a reduction in blue light 
And when I say that, I mean all our devices, tablets, phones, TVs. We want those turned off that are before bed because certainly it can have an impact on the the young person's kind of production of melatonin which we we do we will talk about a bit more but it's about kind of we want to give we want to give them the best opportunity for their body to be ready for sleep and certainly reducing the the um the blue light can be helpful we want to also think about in that bedtime routine um about avoiding kind of drinks with caffeine additives the things that are lots of high sugar levels um to do that you might want to think about what activities they are doing in the evening and are they calming and relaxing or are they quite stimulating in that hour um, and it's it's fine for those activities still to be part of their day you know we've got kids who love being out in the trampoline and that's great but maybe not in the hour before bed again have had conversations with parents about bath and a bath being a real concrete part of their bedtime routine which absolutely I would recommend if it's a common activity for your young person. Um, for other young people, it may be the absolute opposite. Um, and again, it might be one that you want to move out of that hour. A lot of the, the thoughts for parents is about really really trying to get that hour very consistent and very predictable for our young people. And that would be our recommendations, I suppose, for that bedtime um, routine. And then we want to focus on the bedroom kind of environment. We want to think about um, our bedroom kind of we talk about a bedroom being dark quiet cool and comfortable and um, those being the goals for a bedroom and, and I know that some houses you know you might be short of space so maybe a children's bedroom is a playroom as well which is absolutely fine Um, but it's about thinking of, of how that that can impact sleep as well so um, trying as far as possible to kind of declutter bedrooms even beds to not disrupt sleep overnight that can be can be helpful for parents to consider and even you know be creative in that you know throwing a blanket over a toy box so it's kind of out of sight out of mind and the, the young person also knows that as a a kind of social cue for the, the toys are now covered so that means it's bedtime um so we want to be setting our young people up during this um this hour before bed that we're sending consistent messages that there is an end result and the end result is bed and um, it means as, as that routine is implemented more consistently, as you start it one evening and the young person's been doing it for quite some time, they will know what's coming next and they will know that the end result is bad. So I hope that makes sense. It does, it does. Thanks. And I'm thinking a bit more what you said there about the room being dark, cool, quiet and comfortable. Maybe mm-hmm. didn't get those words in quite the yes. right order. <laughs> but, but I suppose that gives parents um, almost a checklist. Mm-hmm. Is there a street light? Yeah. Um, coming in the window um what about blackout blinds and and so on yeah yeah and got a good recommendation there james with the blackout blinds and um lots of parents have gone and purchased those or been creative with having curtains lined with a darker material there are lots of children as well that continue to use night lights and you know i, I wouldn't come on here today and say absolutely no don't use night lights if they're using it i suppose that'd be something that i would be aiming to maybe phase out um, but it may be something parents want to look into. Um, you can buy night lights now with reduced or no blue light. So the blue light is the important light that interrupts our sleep. Um, so if we can come with, if we can think about maybe investing in something like that, or the other recommendation would be that any light in the room um, would be below eye light, eye height. Sorry. Um, so you can have that down. Maybe if it's a bedside lamp, maybe moving it down onto the floor, or certainly the plugins um, would be better than having a, a bright light on on the ceiling or on the bedside table so in summary i think we're saying for the good bedtime routine we want it to really be a routine and we want it to be 
filled with calming things and certainly not things that are going to make someone more hyper and, and remembering about the about the screens as well in terms of difficulties getting over to sleep if a parent's listening to this and saying okay i've kind of done those things and my child still takes ages to get to sleep have we any other advice we could give that parent Catherine? well I suppose I'd be thinking about what part of your journey you're on because it may be that we need to continue with that kind of consistent approach to support them or we might want to start thinking about introducing more calming activities and some of those I would suggest would be things like listening to calming music before bed, massage, progressive muscle relaxation. There's also lots of evidence that fine motor activities can help organise the brain for bed. So it would be another suggested activity that I would ask the parent to sort of integrate into the evening. And it can be a good replacement then for tablets and devices because sometimes that's that's quite a big portion of their evening that needs to be replaced. So things like Lego or jigsaws or even for our younger children, thread and beads or, you know, getting creative. We have children who are threading Cheerios onto a piece of dry spaghetti you know to make it kind of more engaging more entertaining so starting to think about what's going on and, and why they aren't going to sleep so we want to try to give as many things that can stimulate sleep at that time and maybe getting more of those into that hour before bed parents may also want to consider at this time is it a heightened level of anxiety is it that they're not going to sleep because they're having lots of conversations about things they're worried about? Um, and again, without kind of encroaching on a further podcast, it might be worth thinking about introducing something like a bedtime worry box with your young person that gives them the opportunity to nearly offload some of those thoughts. And we find that they can be quite helpful, particularly for our young people with ASD, um, as they are quite concrete, quite literal thinkers of, I've now got that out of my brain, so it's gone. Um, and it can be dealt with at another time. So it might be about putting those boundaries in for bed. The other thing we want to do is kind of maybe, again, add a, a very routine night time as you're, as you're saying good night. So maybe using the same phrase, good night, time to go to sleep. Um, and if a child's getting up out of bed, it's about kind of revisiting that and keeping reinforcing that it is time to go to sleep. We want to avoid some of that ambiguous language with our young people with ASD. So things like it's off to dreamland or... Because what does that mean, really? You know, um, and it can be quite confusing and actually can create a bit of worry for some of our children. Not all of not all of our young people with ASD, but some um, can read into that and, be, and become quite concerned, I suppose. Again, thinking of, of kind of techniques to help stimulate the brain for sleep and ready for sleep. Um, one of our suggestions as well is immediately before bed, going from quite a bright room into your darkened bedroom can help stimulate the brain for sleep as well uh, so it, it might be worth thinking about maybe the last thing on your your our bedtime routine is maybe brushing teeth in the bathroom where it's quite bright and then going into bed after that i'm thinking as well about what you said earlier about the sensory side and i'm just thinking of one family i've got to know a little bit and and that, and that young person had problems with sleep and actually found it helped them to um have quite a tight you know, duvet in tight around them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We find that quite calming. So I suppose it's it's about knowing the sensory diet, so to speak, what are the sensory needs of a young person and then safely thinking about those as well. That that, that could be useful, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And and the other another kind of recommendation we have if you do have those children who are, are seeking out that deep pressure, um, is having a flat sheet over the top of them in bed, um, where you can tuck it in nice and tight under the mattress, um, and give them a bit of that pressure, but it's also safer. I know that um people are probably aware of using like weighted blankets and things like that but that wouldn't be a recommendation 
for overnight um, because yes. they should be used under supervision. Yes. But the, the likes of the flat sheet can be kind of a, a replacement for that. Um, we've also had children who sleep in sleeping bags because it feels a bit more like a cocoon mm. um, or lots of there's lots of great um, devices out there. You know, uh, the IKEA doing over the bed tent which again, some of our young people with ASD can find quite enclosed, quite safe for bedtime. Um, and that's where I say back to about kind of having that clutter-free environment. We've got children who have hundreds of teddy bears on their bed, but in the middle of the night when three of those fall off and it disrupts their sleep, um, that's what we want to kind of avoid. Yeah, so some really creative ideas in, in there. I'm thinking as well, Catherine, about exercise and the importance of that potentially because I, uh, I guess especially maybe for the young, younger children who are kind of maybe full of energy at times um, I, I, I find in the past it helpful asking a family of you know did they ever go for a walk up a big steep hill on a really really tiring day and how was the sleep that night and usually a family say it was a bit better and I guess that helps reinforce that message of pretty much exhausting your child um, day-to-day can help as well yeah i would agree with that you know um in terms of that hour before bed those are the things that we might not be doing but yes we have all day up until that point that we you know we want to avoid our children being sedentary because again you're kind of preparing yourself to for going to sleep all day um by using up the energy that you have and, and based on the kind of energy you're consuming and the energy you then need to kind of expel so yeah absolutely getting more activity in during the day will help with sleep and and i know as well casper from chatting to some families a strategy they can try as a parent sleeping in beside a young person until they go to sleep and i know that that can at times be a lengthy uh, thing that can go on for maybe potentially years and actually take up quite a bit of the parents evening um have you any thoughts on that one yeah, and again, it's certainly common. What we tend to hear more commonly is that the young person's in with parents mm. um, in beside them um, and they might sleep quite well there. Um, and what you're saying actually of the parent being in the room with the young person in their bedroom would be preferable because the parent has the motivation to leave whereas the young person doesn't. So yes. them being in your bedroom is going to be much more difficult to change. So if you do have a child who's sleeping in your bed, what our first step would be about saying, actually, let's move that to their bedroom because you're going to have the motivation to leave. Um, and we, when we talk about using the, the strategy of the disappearing chair and the kind of our training would tell us that when you're implementing a, a new um, bedtime routine that involves this disappearing chair is, is that you would try each each movement for three nights at a time um so the first three nights you might be in bed beside the young person for the next three nights you might be sitting on the edge of the bed till they're asleep the next three nights you're going to be on a chair at the side of the bed and that chair is going to gradually move its way across the room the difficulty being is as if that young person wakes up in the middle of the night looking for you, you you kind of have to go back to that point where you were so you go back to the chair in the room until they're back to sleep again um but the hope being long term that you will eventually be outside of that door with the door closed and your young person is soothing themselves to sleep independently because it's been a gradual withdrawal of that. Mm, that's a helpful concrete strategy that, that, that a family could try. Um, I wonder then another difficulty might be 
uh, waking up during the night. And you've kind of mentioned that already with the, the disappearing chair approach. Have you any other thoughts or advice for a family where the young person is in a real pattern of waking up during the night? The main cause, I suppose, of waking up during the night would be about environmental changes. And it can be really helpful for parents to give some kind of deep consideration to what is happening at the moment that young person falls asleep. And when I say environmental, it doesn't need to be um, something massive. It can be quite small, particularly with our young people with ASD who are hypersensitive to change and notice maybe small things that another young person may not. Um, So some examples of that would be, you know, the child who falls asleep with mum rubbing their back, which is lovely and is therapeutic and that young person has fallen asleep. But when when they wake up during the night and that has stopped, that that kind of causes them to rouse fully. Um, So in our sleep cycles, we tend to wake three to four times per night anyway. We all do. But because our environment hasn't changed, we tend to not remember that wakeful period. And it's it's usually very short. But when a young person's environment has changed, um, from something quite big like having your back rubbed and when you have your your natural nighttime wakening and that's not happening anymore um that causes the body to rise into kind of full wakefulness because something's changed and we go on kind of high alert but for our young people with ASD as I was saying they're quite hypersensitive so sometimes we have to be sort of detectives at bedtime and you know we've had parents that reported goodness actually now you say that the landing lights on when they go to bed and it's it's turned off maybe at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning when they wake um, and they may be picking up on those more subtle things. So that'd be the first thing I'd recommend to parents about nighttime waking in is what's happening at that point of sleep and how do we ensure that we maintain that environment throughout the night. So it might be about actually making the changes at bedtime. So if the light's going to be off in the middle of the night, let's get it off now to, to help that, that environment stay the same for them. The other thing I suppose to to think about is our young people who maybe wake during the night and that's them up for the night. Mm. Um, And that kind of takes me back to thinking about how many hours sleep does that young person need? Because we may need to think about moving our our sleep time in order to adjust our wake time. Um, And in, in, in that I mean for a young person who maybe only needs 10 hours sleep, if they go to bed and go to sleep at seven, they are quite likely to be up at five. So it may be about shifting that. Maybe their bedtime becomes eight and they're up at six or we need to move it a wee bit more than that. Again, that just reminds me of whenever we're thinking of introducing the, that kind of routine at bedtime, how important it is to have a consistent sleep and wake time. And as we're establishing a really good bedtime routine, we want to maintain that all the time. And that can be difficult for parents, you know, at weekends because maybe we don't we, we want to allow them to have a lie in because it's a weekend. But actually, as we're establishing a new routine and supporting a young person to understand it, we want to maintain that routine seven days a week until it's really well established. And then you might might want to make some tweaks on weekends or summer holidays when it's really, really well kind of bedded in. Thanks, Catherine. That's that's helpful. And then I suppose thinking on through the night to early morning wakening, and you've kind of mentioned a bit of this already about you know if they wake up kind of early and that's them, maybe we adjust the the, the bedtime and, and and move it a bit later. I wonder if you have any other advice for a parent whose young person tends to wake up really really early and that's them up for the day. Again, as as I said, the, my my thoughts would be initially about thinking of how many hours sleep do they need. Are they have they got enough and can we adjust that bedtime? Um, if we don't believe that they have had enough, what we want to do is 
go back to the final couple of steps of our bedtime routine to again to give them the cues that this is bedtime this is we are getting back into bed go back in with your um consistent phrase that you use at bedtime um try to I, I wouldn't be getting into long conversations in the middle of the night if they're up keeping your verbals quite limited but clear as to what the expectation is that we're going back into bed provide some reassurance um and, and tuck back in again and kind of continue with that there have been thoughts as well and it, it goes back to kind of what lois was talking about in the use of visuals and visual supports um but parents may want to think about introducing things like bedtime tokens um so bedtime tokens could be about how many times you're allowed to get up um which can be used in the lead up to bed or through the night. Um, certainly our young people with ASD tend to respond very well to a reward-based programme. Um, so maybe they get a, a sticker for their full night's sleep or if they stay in bed until 7am, for example, um, with a reward towards the end of that. There's also a, a nice device called a grow clock, um, which is, is nice because it's a very visual um very it very clearly visualizes when it's day and when it's night for a young person that they can see if they wake up and the clock's still showing that it's nighttime then that it's not time to get up and again that's going to take them some time maybe in learning that um but it can be a nice a nice visual reminder for them overnight yes we have a glow, glow clock in our house uh, oh, great. and it changes color from blue to yep. orange uh, when it's wake up time and my only advice i would add in is make sure you set it right because there's nothing worse than a child lying in bed patiently waiting for it to change colour and it never changes colour. That's yeah. a, I think that would be classed as a parent fail. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, I wonder then, in terms of reading a bit more about this, Catherine, if a parent wants to read a bit more, because I suppose what we've done today is just talk over some of the building blocks, the basics really, uh, and the importance of those. Are, are there other resources we could point families to to, to, to read a bit more? Yeah, certainly there's some websites that I would recommend. Um, the first being the Middletown website, which is middletownautism.com. has great resources in relation to sleep, but also a whole host of other areas that parents may, may benefit from. Um, and I've certainly found that a very useful website for myself in my practice. Um, the other one being Sleep Scotland, um, which would, would be where we kind of gain our information in relation to sleep and, and who would guide us in that. And it is www.sleepscotland.org. And then we have the National Autistic Society, which is autism.org.uk. Um, and the Children's Sleep Charity, which is the childrensleepcharity.org.uk. But I think we might be able to, to link those possibly. Yeah. And just conscious of one other thing we chatted about earlier on, Catherine, before the podcast, and that was just about medication. Because there's, there's maybe some families listening thinking, my child needs some medication to help them sleep. And I wonder, do you, do you want to make any comment that, about that where, you, where medication may or may not, not fit in in general terms? Yeah, I can certainly speak from my experience with young people and then I will let you jump in at any time, James, that you, that if you've got anything to add. Um, I suppose I have been involved with families who have had long, long periods of time with very difficult sleep um, for everybody. And melatonin has been um, trialled and proven to be very effective. Um, and, and that's something I would never kind of deny. Uh, certainly it can be helpful and it can be required for some young people, um, not all, but some. But I suppose what I would be saying about that is that it can't be used in isolation. And I'm not sure if that's something you agree with, but I, I we wouldn't recommend kind of going straight to medication because what we want to do is we, we still want to kind of 
continue on trying some of these strategies that we've talked about today um and then if we come to the point where maybe these aren't as effective as we'd like them to be certainly the medication can be helpful in addition to the behavioral strategies for sleep yeah and i think i would add just to agree with that that um medication can be helpful for quite a few young people not for everybody but quite a few and um I think it's really important, as you're saying, to work on the building blocks very thoroughly first. And one of the reasons for that for me would be there are some young people who commence a medication such as melatonin and they can end up taking it for quite a long time, potentially even for years. And I think that's a decision we'd always take cautiously about a child taking medication for years. Uh, and so I think it's important that we've exhausted the the other options um, first. And that's no pun intended with using the word exhausted because... <laughs> I'm sure parents listening to this uh, really do feel very exhausted um, if sleep's a big problem at home. I suppose then just to finish off, uh, Catherine, um, for parents who are maybe feeling uh, a bit deflated or, or exhausted, have we any final encouragement we can we can finish with? Well, I suppose what I would say to any of the parents who I speak to is that, you know, you're their parent and you're doing the very best job that you can do. Um, and we hope that some of these strategies will promote better sleep for you but what I'll always say is be honest with people that you know the introduction of these strategies aren't it's not going to make a change overnight and um, it does require kind of that that consistent approach that we talked about um so it's kind of about putting in this hard work now but for long-term gain um so my advice will always be to just keep doing what you're doing and monitor it and kind of celebrate the small changes you know the small improvements that you have um it may not be exactly where you want to be but if it's better than it was um that's that's a win i suppose in a sense um and if you are trying things and some some of it's going well and some isn't do check in with with others you know some of the the kind of online resources that i talked about there you know check in there for further advice you know certainly can come through to us um but there, there's lots of other supports out there um, to try to, to encourage you. But um, my, that would be my advice is to just kind of keep going as best you can um, and recognise that you're doing a good job. Yeah, keep going, keep trying some different things, keep what works and, and discard what doesn't. And I suppose I would add one final bit on that, and that's maybe a little bit about self-care for a parent. Yeah. Uh, about if they get a chance to take a break and go and sleep in someone else's house or get a night away or do something like that. Um, those are so important for parents to be able to keep going uh thank you catherine for all that practical advice and those onward uh pointers for for, for other resources thanks for for talking with us today and, and thank you too to you our listeners uh thanks for tuning into this a good sleep and how to get it uh, podcast we hope you find it helpful 